Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Revo Talk, the podcast from Revo Track Resource Management Systems. And my name is Hannah Hansard. Again, just welcome back to this episode of Revo Talk. I am joined here today with my co host and CEO of Revo Track Resource Management Systems, Melissa. Hey, Hannah. So happy to be here. Excited about our podcast and our guest today. I know. I am too. I am so stoked to introduce to y'all our guest for today's episode. So today with us, we have Rose Davis. Um, Rose is an experienced digital marketer, uh, has over nine years of experience, especially with social media. Uh, she actually has yielded over 200,000 followers organically on her private Instagram account, which is insane. Can't wait to hear about how you did that. Um, Rose is just a super passionate person and has used this platform for all sorts of good, which we are going to dive into today. So Rose, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on today. This is such a pleasure. Oh my gosh, absolutely. No, we um, have heard a lot about your story and we can't wait to get your story and your cause out there. So um, just right off the bat, um, can you give us uh, a little bit of your background and how uh, the experiences of you, I'll go ahead and do a spoiler alert, you have literally lived all over North America. So um, go ahead and dive into um, your experience with uh, moving school and then um, the role that you have today. Yeah, so that's a story and a half, but I'm happy to share. Um, so I grew up in the States until probably 2013. And we had lived, my whole family and I had just always traveled everywhere. So North Carolina, Virginia, Colorado, and then San Antonio, Texas. But in 2013, my dad took a job offer um, at this bank in Canada. It's uh, He works in the anti-fraud, anti-money laundering industry. And so he sort of packed us all up and hauled us up to Toronto, which was just mind-blowing to me. It was nothing like I'd ever experienced before. Honestly, it was a lot of culture shock and a lot of adjusting um, there. It's just slightly different from your Texan culture that you just don't expect it. So... Like you would just run into people on the streets and people would always say sorry, which is like not a Texan thing. You're just like, excuse me. And that's like considered like rude up there. Um, or I would have like a thick Southern draw and no one could understand me. And so it was wild um, transitioning up there. But uh, I lived there for the past eight years and I honestly loved my time there running to the coffee shops on the street always just sort of hopping on a subway whenever I wanted. Honestly, it was a dream to be able to grow up there. Um, besides the snow, I'm happy to be back in Texas and avoid the snow now. Right, absolutely. And then you also uh, ended up going to school for communications up there, right? I did, yes. So actually in 2012, I remember I was sitting in my English class with um, a girlfriend of mine and she was like, hey, there's this new thing called Instagram. Have you checked it out? Have you seen it yet? And I was like, this is cool. What is this? And so back when everyone was getting on it, I jumped on it and um, just built up this all little platform called Pink Ballet Shoes. That was a personal account turned into like a sort of a curated Instagram feed for ballerinas. And I just sort of fell in love at, in social media from like the age of like 13 and then when I went up to Toronto and I was talking about her sister, and I was so confused. I was like, what do I do with my life? And she's like, Rose, 
you do this for a living already. You are working in social media and you don't even know it. Go get a degree in it. And so I um, went to the University of Toronto and honestly, it was a dream. I, I think I didn't learn as much as I would have liked to in the communications program. I think I had already just developed a lot of the knowledge myself, but being in that environment around other people who are just equally as passionate about social media and being creative and building dreams and innovating new ideas. It was an experience that I really enjoyed. Yeah, that's super cool. So, so pink ballet shoes. So describe, like explain to us what, what is pink ballet shoes and really what prompted you to start that? Yeah. So when I built up Pink Ballet Shoes, it was my personal account. And I was a dancer for 18 years and like extremely passionate person, loved ballet, wanted to share that with the world. And so I just like screenshotted a bunch of ballet images and started posting spam, like spamming it on my personal account one day. And then all of my friends unfollowed me, but then I got a bunch of new followers who were equally as passionate about ballet as I was. And within like a couple of weeks, I would built like a thousand followers and I was, I was sold. I was like, wow, I can do like, this is so much fun. I love doing this. I love seeing people like engaging um, with the same passion that I do. And so I just kept at it. And like, I remember like my weekends, I just want to be on social media, building my little little ballet ballerina community and slowly but surely I remember like when I hit like 5,000 and then 10,000 and then girls and, and guys would be reaching out to me and they would ask hey can I get featured on your account I'd be like oh my gosh like of course and then having just building this whole ballet community um out of it and um refining it as I go along so no longer spamming and implementing some strategies behind it that I did not know worst strategies at first when I first started doing it but a lot of the things I was just like I could do this thing like um just trying new ways to implement hashtags and like building like even my own hashtag which has like probably like over like 50,000 images tagged to it alone now um I was just doing things before they were called strategies and building my little empire and it's just cool to see where it's at now (laughs) No, that's insane. And our uh, VP of Marketing Communications, Blake, we have had extensive conversations about strategizing with our social media, how to get new followers, how to get our content out there. And it really, it's insane. Like I, no one truly understands how much <laughs> like goes into it. If, if you really haven't been in that position before, especially I feel like my parents, like I'm always like texting my mom or texting my dad, like, Hey, go like this post or go comment or go share. And they're like, okay, like what? And now like, you know, it's no one really understands that, but um, you know, accumulating that your 200,000 uh, followers on Instagram and in your um, LinkedIn and on um, the Noble where um, you're an employee now, you say that you did that organically. Um, can you kind of expand on the idea of uh, growing that amount of followers, but also how growing that amount of followers kind of um, aided you and helped you in like your professional life and what you do right now with the Noble? Yeah. So I think, first of all, like it was really the timing in which I got onto Pink Ballet or onto Instagram that I was able to grow so rapidly. Um, 
But one of the things that's allowed me to sustain organic growth is just, I think building a network, like building community has been one of the biggest things. So like for the longest time, and I'm, I'm not doing that as much anymore as I sort of am more career focused and driven, um, but I would just always be talking to similar accounts and we would do collaborations. We would do like giveaways together or um, like we would find a ballet image that one of us really like enjoyed. And then we would share it to each other or sort of just like give each other credit. And so it was that, that network and that community building that really allowed it to be sustained and um, just being really engaging and interactive with my followers, making them feel seen has been just a thing that I've seen set my personal account pink ballet shoes apart. And then as well for the noble, it's very interesting because our network is like 50 year old plus people who work in banking, fraud, law enforcement space. I am a 23 year old girl who does not work like directly in that space. So it's really been leveraging the people who have just sort of rallied around our organization to, to help build that as well. And so we'll, we just try to maximize anything like opportunity that we have. So like LinkedIn has like a hundred invites that you can send out a month, use it, like take it to your advantage. Like that's a way that you can grow organically. Think of hashtags. Okay. What are the ones that are being followed? Take it and use it to your advantage. Um, within your own company, build a culture of liking and sharing and engaging with the posts. And you always see interaction built out of that in the, in the LinkedIn space. And then, yeah, for Instagram, I'd say it's take advantage of every single feature that gets released. Like as soon as it drops, like Instagram reels, we were on it like right away and like 2 million plus views on some reels. And it was, that was mind blowing to me because I'd never even seen a number like that before. But really taking advantage of features that get launched is one of the just biggest recommendations I have for anyone who's trying to grow rapidly. That's why we're seeing so many TikTok influencers having stable income because they took advantage of it. And so there are strategies like hashtags and consistent communication that like I highly encourage, but it's also being willing to take risk and be innovative and be at the front lines I would be some of the biggest tips that I have for people. Oh, wow. Those are great tips. Those are really great tips. And so I'm, I'm going to do like a little confession here because, you know, I'm, you know, above 40. Oh, I hate to say that, but anyway, so, um, here we go, like on social media and, you know, Blake and Hannah have been like great help to me in, in learning about, um, you know, social media. And, um, I, I don't know what this Instagram reels is, but like, I'm really interested because I'm putting all of these videos out on YouTube and I'm like not getting a hundred thousand followers or views or whatever it is I'm supposed to be getting. Um, and I would really like that. So <laughs> now I will go ahead and say, whenever we first started uploading YouTube videos, um, Melissa thought that going viral was like, like a given, like yeah. immediate. So she was like, I bet y'all have like a hundred thousand views within the week. And like, I was so disappointed. Now, I know it's now like over a month later. And I think we're up to 87 views. 
Yeah, it's it's not it wasn't it wasn't quite the the amazing experience that I thought it was going to be. You know, I I thought it was going to be famous already. So, um, and I'm not. <laughs> well, don't be discouraged. I think it's like one of the biggest things is often people don't see that growth happen right away, and they're like, "Dang it! Like I'm I'm not good at my job. I don't know how to do this." For one girl, I'm managing her social media accounts, and it's only recently that we've really started to see growth, but we've been pushing, like, consistency and, like, some just really harsh strategy behind the scene, and it's just a matter of repeating, rinsing, and refining that process until you find something that works, and then you catch on to it, you start drilling it in. Until it doesn't work anymore. And then you do the same process to build, grow again. But um, there's there's been times, I'll full confession, I didn't post probably for about like six months up to a year on Pink Ballet Shoes because I just felt very burnt out on it. And I dropped like 80,000 followers. <laughs> that was discouraging. So I used to be at actually um, a quarter of a million, which is um, not where we're at now, but we dropped to like 170 and we built it up 30,000 plus since, but it re- that could be like discouraging and then make me want to stop. But actually that encouraged me to go harder and to, to think more critically about what I'm doing and to build it again. And so, yeah, do not let discouragement defeat you. You will get there. I believe one day I'll be scrolling on Instagram reels and you, Melissa, will pop up on my feed. Well, I I just know, like, now I'm going to have to talk to Blake about Instagram reels because I'm real curious about what this is and if I need to be on it. So, (laughs) oh, my goodness. But but really, Rose, I want to ask you more about the, I I think it's the noble and, and really about your interest in, 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 in all these, these social causes and social reform, you know, can just, just tell us kind of what prompted you to, um, you know, kind of dive in, in that area. Yeah. So I, I think for the biggest thing for me is I've always wanted to have a sense of purpose. I think like many people, um, doing good, I've always aimed to sort of just give a helping hand where needed, whether it was driving a friend home from wherever or, um, you know, just going and volunteering places. Like I volunteered at a hospital for summer and just like loved the idea of getting able to like do service and do good. But I wanted to converge it with my passion of social media. And I was like, how do I do this? And so we had to declare two majors in my school. And so I was like, what am I going to do? I was thinking about going into film. I took the film class and I do not have a, I get scared very easily. And so we were watching like (laughs) just some of the classic movies that like you, everyone should know. And I couldn't even sit through it. I was like sick to my stomach. I was like, no, this is too scary for me. And so I was like, okay, so film is not it. And so I signed up for a sociology course and I I didn't know what I was going to get into. And I loved it. Like it just sort of was everything that I was searching for in terms of figuring out how to converge this idea of communicating to my audience, but also understanding them really well. And the funny thing is, is I love the class and I almost didn't get in my major. I think I got like a 67 um, in the course 
full transparency and the cutoff was like 66 but I knew that I loved it and I was gonna go into it and I was crying the day where I thought I wasn't gonna make it and I really did try (laughs) I'm just not good at writing papers um (laughs) but I got in and so just was taking the classes and again was still just trying to navigate my way through and I saw this sort of advertisement for a trip to Germany and Poland come up like a study abroad it was through the sociology major and I was like I will apply uh this looks like fun and it was about genocide and that was sort of what sold me on it was I went on this trip and I just got consumed within the world of like studying genocide and it just like opened my world to like the deep dark reality that's actually facing us all around um i just begin to examine genocides that are still currently like taking place today just some of the unfortunate discrimination that we see around the world and that it can look like many different things in many different forms and so I was really privileged because I had this professor actually take me under his wing um, after that trip. And actually, the reason he did was because he saw pink ballet shoes and he was really encouraged and inspired that I was able to build something. And he was like, you're going to stick with me. And he he took me under his wing. He like gave me free textbooks for his class, would sit in long discussions with me talking about genocide. And I would talk about human trafficking um, and in a way too, be like, is this a form of genocide? It's not, um, it is different, but there's a lot of similarities and correlation and, um, was just really grateful because he also hired me to like research with him and to really just get deep down into the dirty grittiness of it all. And then he let me found a way to pay for me to go to Cambodia and also study, what was happening over there. And and in the midst of it, I took up opportunities to be like the photographer on the trip and to document the trip and just any way that I could just put my creative twist on presenting what I was learning. I just sort of ran with it. And, And that's really what piqued my interest was just this sort of narrow focus that I took in sociology and really, um, what I think has sort of put me in a a position where I'm at now today, where it's like, I can now see that like there needs to be a convergence of social media and this like human rights talk, because that's where the world is, is online. And we need to be meeting them with this stuff and we can get a lot done in a small digital world. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned, you know, uh, and, and obviously, you know, it's on, it's on your LinkedIn. I'm, I'm such a creep, but, um, with the, um, with genocidal studies, again, that is such a narrow focus, um, in sociology. And even though it's not the same as human trafficking, it still piqued an interest and it's still kind of like, you know, kind of ignited, um, a fire and like a passion in you. So can you kind of expand on that a little bit more and kind of talk about, um, how that that narrow focus whenever you were studying in school led you to the opportunity and the work that you were doing with the noble right now? Yeah. So there's definitely a couple of factors. So my dad started getting into the world of like child exploitation. And so we would just be sitting around people who are also just well-versed within that world. Um, And so 
I just began to learn from them sort of the, the realities of what they were seeing, especially when it comes to like um, sexual online child exploitation. There's just like a lot of harm that is happening to these poor kids right now. Um, as well as I had, I went to this church for a while and the pastor worked at A20. She helped found A21, which I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's also a huge anti-human trafficking a nonprofit. They originally started in Australia, then they went to California, and now they're here in Texas, actually. Um, and so we, they do this thing called the Walk for Freedom every year. And one year, our church decided to sort of launch it and do it. And so I started weeping when I saw the promotional video. Again, the power of like a creative hand um, and then portraying these ideas or portraying the realities of what's happening in the world. And so I really just started running with it right away. I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up for this walk and did it with my friends. We all sort of just rallied together um, and started doing it. And then the next year, my friend, she spearheaded this uh, thing called the Talk for Freedom. So we took it off of, based off of the Walk for Freedom and sort of did our own rendition of it. And we brought speakers in, uh, real life trafficking victims, people who work behind the scenes to fight human trafficking. And then as well as um, people who are more on the restorative side of helping these victims heal. Um, we just set up this huge event and fundraised and brought money in to help support these nonprofits and these victims. And just, it was just little things along the way that it just kept pointing into human trafficking that I really just started just walking towards it, not knowing what was going to happen and just doors would open. Um, and then from there, my friend and I built uh, an Instagram account called Talk for Freedom, which we did throughout the year of the pandemic where none of us had jobs or um, were furloughed and didn't know what was happening. Um, I had recently graduated, so I had nothing happening where I rolled. And so I would just research and like sort of write like mini essays and she would create graphic design and we would just throw it out on social media. And so it wasn't like a huge, like all like big thing at once that really swept me at my feet to like run in the stream, but little things along the way. I, oh, I will say though, one thing that does stand out above the rest. When I did go to Cambodia, we actually saw human trafficking happen like right in front of us. Um, I remember like we would walk down the streets um, in this big like night market and they they would specifically target men. And there was only two men who went on our trip um, and one of them was gay. So he was definitely not interested in this. Um, but the women would come up to him and would just try to sell themselves for um, a profit, but it wasn't like prostitution. It was, they have like pimps and people who are pushing them out to bring in income for them. And that's the world and the reality of what they're stuck in. And so we saw a lot of that walking around the street. But one thing in particular is when we were going back to our hotel, we saw this older gentleman and, um, and like the, they're called tuk-tuks. So it's like a taxi. And there was this young girl and my friends and I just all knew that she was being trafficked and was going to be pushed into like sex trafficking um, and was going to 
eventually sleep with this guy. So those just like marked me. Um, I think out of everything, like that was sort of this, just the big aha moment. Like I need to do everything in my power to make it stand, whether it's, um, just being conscious about how I buy clothes, um, because it could lead back to forced labor, um, being conscious about where I, I spend my money or what I choose to like donate to, um, those are just some of the things that I've sort of taken on to just sort of advocate in my day-to-day life, but also not letting it get to the point where it drags me down and I can't like have joy throughout my life as well, but there's a balance. And so it's the heavy reality and like, I'll do everything in my power to fight it, but I won't let it pull me down and like, let me sit in like a sorrowful place where I can't do anything because I can do a lot of things right now to make a difference. So. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you've already done quite a bit, um, with your, you know, I, I know that you participate in, um, December, you know, that was something that, that we noticed and we thought that was pretty interesting. And, and I will ask you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can talk about that too, but, but I really, I want to ask you something because you, you said, um, you know, that you're real careful about like where you buy like certain things, like maybe your clothes or food or whatever. So so how can we, like, I don't know. I, I'm, I just am learning about this. So how can we know, you know, where to, you know, buy certain goods so that we're not contributing to that? Yeah. So there's some resources. Um, I would look for anything that has the B corporation mark on it. Cause that means it's like fair trade, it's sustainable, but it's also not like condoning like the forced labor um, industry. There are a couple websites. I think one is called, um, let me pull it up right now. I think it's called good on you. It's called good on you. And if you go to it, you can search up most any store that has to do with a fashion brand. And it will tell you, it'll give you a ranking of how sustainable it is. Um, in terms of, you know, if you're into environmentalism, it'll tell you about that, but it'll also tell you about the, the human impact that it has. And that's the one I really look at. Um, I care about like earth sustainability too, but definitely, um, the one that sticks out for me is the human human rights. So uh, that's something I do. I also enjoy thrifting a lot, but I know that's not for everyone. (laughs) So it's only if you like to thrift, I recommend thrifting and then really just looking, look out for the fair trade symbol as well. Those are just a couple of things. But just also when you're looking at the tag, like look where it comes from and you can sort of tell where some of the biggest places for human trafficking are. So it's Bangladesh is a huge one and um, China right now is definitely one of the bigger ones. So just looking out for where it's made and then just doing a quick little Google on the on the brand itself. They'll tell you how ethical they are and just don't get defeated if you do accidentally buy something that isn't, you know, like we're all learning. And honestly, the reality is it shouldn't be happening to begin with, but you can only do so much. And so um, do what you can, but don't get discouraged if you're not doing enough, if you feel like you're not doing enough. Well, thank you for that. I, I really do appreciate knowing that because I, I honestly, like I, I, 
I, I know that human trafficking exists, but, but I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't realize all of the things that I could do, you know, to help prevent it. And, and some of those things are just as simple as checking, you know, where your brand is, is coming from and, and the sustainability, the, the environmental and then the human impact. I, I think that's great to, you know, have those resources um, to be able to do that. So thank you. Also, I would say chocolate is a big industry where there's a lot of human trafficking, which I was really surprised about. Some safe brands are like Cadbury, and there's this one called Tony's that's coming up. That's also really sustainable as well. But just just fun fact, chocolate. Look where your chocolate comes from. Look where your food comes from. But it's also, I'll just make mention that it's not all like outside of North America. And like, that's all where the human trafficking come from, comes from. No, it's actually happening here in Texas, here in the U.S., a lot of it's happening at the border, unfortunately. And then a lot of these young kids are getting taken to these agriculture farms and places and are, you know, actually a part of our food and supply chain, too. So it's not just outside of the U.S., but it's happening in our own backyard. Um, so... Yeah, exactly. And like, so um, I, a little bit of background about me. I am from a town in West Texas called Lubbock, um, where there is an extremely, extremely high amount of human trafficking going on. Um, kind of similar to you, um, I got my first exposure to human trafficking through my church. We brought an organization in called Open Door, um, which is a fantastic organization. Also, we are going to be leaving all of these, um, all of these resources, all of these links and uh, more information down in the description for anyone who wants to do more research on um, on human trafficking. But uh, one of the most shocking things, again, like it from me and my own little uh, my own little bubble, I guess, you hear about human trafficking and you think number one, it's either um, children or women, and it is um, sex trafficking. But that's that couldn't be further from the truth, right? There are multiple different ways that uh, someone can be trafficked. And it's, and you mentioned it earlier with your story in Cambodia um, with, with the young men and everything. So can you expand on the different kinds of trafficking, but also some, um, not just, you know, with the label um, or where you are purchasing your food, but, um, you know, whenever you were literally watching someone get trafficked right in front of you, you know, what does that look like and how can we help right then? Yeah. So I would say the biggest industries, um, sex trafficking is a huge industry. And then forced labor is one of the other big industries. Um, but there's also like, and I, the word is slipping in my mind right now, but like, sort of like, like hotel management and, um, like people who sort of get forced to like be like sort of like slavery in, in people's homes. Um, and, and I think that probably lies more outside of the U.S. than it does here. But um, those are sort of the three all-encompassing uh, realms of human trafficking. So sex trafficking, very self-explanatory, people who get sold for the purpose of selling sex, selling their bodies, Forced, traffic, forced labor that looks like um, your food, that looks like uh, your clothes, that looks like um, just being forced to work to produce a good. And then obviously third, it's more of a hidden behind the scenes of someone's home being forced to really just be at the hands and feet at someone without 
any respect for their human decency, unequal pay, um, or not being paid at all. Um, or those are some of the big things. And then you mentioned something else, which I did just forget. So what was the other part of your question? Well, so whenever you were um, looking and whenever you were literally seeing that happen right in front of you, like what on earth do you do? Like, so there is the national human trafficking hotline that is in the U S. Um, and so if you just Google, and I believe it's actually up in Canada now too. So you just Google national human trafficking hotline, you give them a call, tell them the situation. And if they like think something is going down, they're going to send people out there to go and look and like take control over this situation. But if it's in the moment like that, that's something that you can do. And uh, one of the biggest areas for trafficking and, and trafficking in a sense of moving people from one place to another is in within like airports and stuff, and especially like during the holidays. And so um, with people who are traveling around now, just be on the lookout um, when you're going places to see, okay, is this girl like sitting next to this man on the plane, but she's not saying anything for herself? That's probably a red flag that, you know, something might be going down, like that he has like dominance over her, you know, is she looks sort of beaten up and battered or bruised or, you know, a guy too, does he look sort of beaten up, battered or bruised? Those are just some of the warning signs. Anything that looks suspicious, calling the hotline is always a good idea. It's better to call them and be wrong than to not call them and then for it to be right, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I'm like, just to kind of keep going a little bit on this topic, because, um, you know, my background's in education and I know Hannah has a background in education too. So education is like super, super important to us. So what do you know, what is being done to educate people on this? And I'm just thinking, you know, cause you mentioned, you know, people in the hospitality industry and then, you know, airline industry. So really travel, um, being, being probably some of the people that might be the first to notice this. So is there a push to educate or provide training to those individuals? So my answer would be, I don't know, but I, hope so. I can tell you what I do know is, is with the noble and what we're doing right now, we, our sort of purpose and mission is to awaken, equip, and deploy financial crime fighters to see sort of the money, the, the illicit money flows and put a stop to them and then file what we call suspicious activity reports to stop, you know, them, cut them at their throat completely, just cut them off. Because a lot of the time, why, what's the intention, the reason why they're doing this thing? It's money. You know, they want profit. They want, you know, to feel success or, you know, some type of kickoff of just that. So that's one thing that we're doing right now is to really equip bankers and people who are in that space and who really need to have the knowledge to be able to slow down. But I will say, like, for just the average individual, something like Dressember is actually a great way to just bring about rounds, um, everyday conversations around human trafficking. So um, that's really the intention of why I've done it for three years is because it's just a great way that, hey, I can spread the word about human trafficking. And here are some things that you guys can do right now. And 
and they have a lot of great blogs that they put out there. But the one thing that's amazing is they're equipping people around the world to sort of just all share what's going on at once. And people get sort of swept up in the media of it all. And, you know, it's just sort of put right in front of you. And you do learn a little bit every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to go back to what uh, what you just began to talk about with Dressember. Um, can you please explain what Dressember is um, and what what your role is? Because I, I know that you have been a spotlight advocate um, for them in the past, which is so cool. So um, give us a little bit of background on Dressember and maybe give us some resources and things that we can do um, with regards to that organization. Yeah, so with Dressember, it's pretty much 31 days of wearing dresses or a tie um, to for the purpose of spreading awareness and advocacy. And it's really the dress is a symbol of this like redemptive um, idea of like restoring um, what the victims have sort of lost, um, you know, just their, their freedom to express and their personality. Like that's really the purpose behind that dress. And so with the 31 days, it's sort of this just huge fundraiser that happens um, where um, everyone from all over the globe sets up like a little fundraising account. And we just sort of all start talking about what's going on, what are the issues and put it out there for the, the world to sort of see. And so last year, I actually just in my world of not having a job and not knowing what to do, I started to create some reels um, just about resources that people can do, places to shop, um, was just sort of sharing my Dressember experience. Um, and there's just the things that I was learning along the way. And I posted on TikTok as well. And one of them, I think, got like 21,000 like views on it, which was pretty cool for TikTok, especially with it being myself. So I... I am going to correct you because I just went and I saw it today. Rose, that video or that TikTok has over 100,000 views. I think it has like 20, I think it maybe have like 21 or 22 point thousand likes. But no, that has over a thousand views, Rose. That is amazing. That's, that's wild. Okay, that's wild. Clearly, I had to delete TikTok because of its addictive nature. But that, that's, that's mind blowing. Um, I remember there was a, there, there was a lot of controversy with that post. I remember like, cause I was just trying to put out like brands that I liked. And so many people came at me in the comments and were like, I don't like this brand. This brand's not good. And this, and I was just like, I surrender. It's the white flag. I just want to share about how you can fight against human trafficking guys. Um, but that was like some of the, I just got creative with the last year and really I think Dressember just sort of noticed me and then they were like, Hey, they reached out and they were like, do you want to be spotlighted? And I was like, that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> and then they actually put out this like documentary, which is like another resource that I would recommend people to sort of go watch. Um, if they have the time, I believe it's like 10 minutes long, just about ways um, that they're fighting human trafficking and what you can actually do to, you know, make a difference. And I was watching it. And I was in the video. They had like screen recorded one of my reels and had put it in the video. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. That's wild. <laughs> so I I love Dressember. I love what they're doing. And it's really just for, for anyone to get involved. It's not just for people who want to wear dresses. It's really 
anyone who has a passion and wants to make it different. And I think the encouraging thing is, is you don't have to wear a dress every day. If you feel like you mentally do not have the capacity to wear a dress every day, do not beat yourself up. Just reset, go for it again. Um, it's just the intention behind it is just to do good and to make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah and I were talking about December earlier today because, because for that very reason, you know, just tr really trying to understand a little bit more about it. And, and I love the fact that it's, it's really bringing awareness. I mean, that's really the goal is, is, you know, the awareness and, and of course you were spotlighted. I mean, you have this amazing ability to use social media to, to gain <laughs> followers. So, so it's, it's no surprise. That you were spotlighted in in uh, on December and in their documentary. I was really like, oh no, <laughs> like why am I here? No, I was. It was really it was crazy to see just me up there because I for the longest time pink ballet shoes. I hit, like I hid behind that. Like I never wanted to show who I like actually was. There's just like I'm gonna be this little like mischievous person, um, just sharing a bunch of ballet images, and no one's gonna know who I am. And just to sort of see like without me trying that there's just been opportunity for me to just sort of share who I am and what I've been passionate about. And even like here today, like um, I'm really just like honored um, for those opportunities because I'm very content hiding behind the screen and manipulating my little curated Instagram feed to <laughs> make it beautiful. <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, Rose, you truly have a remarkable ability, it seems, to just have followers wherever you go. I mean, like, you know, not, not just with Pink Ballet Shoes on Instagram, but whenever you were on TikTok and whenever you were doing the reels um, for Dress and Burn, like, you, obviously, they featured you in their short film and their documentaries. So you have this uncanny ability to just captivate and have people want to tune in and want to see what you're doing um, and, and follow you pretty much everywhere. <laughs> not so not just with your dancing um, and with your ballet Instagram, but, you know, with your advocacy and with um, uh, with your um, you know willingness to just put yourself out there for a cause that you care about, which is not easy. Um, and again, you just have this uncanny ability to just um, just accomplish anything with social media, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So, um, Rose, thank you so much for joining us today and being with us today and sharing, um, your passion for, uh, social media, for dancing, but most of all for, um, human trafficking and human rights. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Honestly, this is so much fun. And just the opportunity to just be able to speak to you guys. Um, yeah, I count it as a privilege. Oh, thank you. Well, we appreciate you and everything that you're doing. I think, I think it's amazing. Yeah. God, I mean, what a remarkable and important conversation that we just had with Rose about human rights and human trafficking. That is just all of that information that she spouted off is just unbelievable, truly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I learned so much, um, through that conversation that, that I just, I wasn't aware of. And, and so I am really grateful that we had the opportunity to have her on, um, on the show so that, that, that people can 
can can get that that same information and and that same understanding of really what human trafficking is. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, kind of going off of that. So I know that Rose um, in the episode did um, uh, blank on one of the um, other types of human trafficking. So um, I did go ahead and uh, reach out and look um, look up the three most common types. So, of course, there is sex trafficking, which we touched on uh, forced labor. So um, some examples of forced labor, you know, agricultural work, manufacturing, things like that. Now, the third type is called debt bondage, um, which is um, really different um, and uh, not a super common type, but it exists. Um, It is uh, one of the uh, three most common. So kind of an example of that uh, would be uh, someone who has um, a very large amount of debt or um, or if, is under the impression that they owe someone something. Um, a lot of people, especially in foreign countries, are kind of manipulated into thinking that they owe someone something or they're in an insane amount of debt and that they're going to um, either get arrested or be harmed if they don't pay um, this, uh, this huge debt back. And then in return, they are asked to go and, in a lot of cases, live with a family or um, uh, are, are, remo- are, are removed from their town, their city, um, and kind of isolated. And they are felt like they owe this debt, this large debt to um, this important person or this family or whatever. Um, and they are not going to be released like they're not going to be released to the public. They are not going to be released to um, their families. A lot of their families don't even know where their family member is. They are under the impression that they have to stay in this situation, right? Um, and that can look like anything. That can look like um, uh, someone uh, being a housekeeper and cleaning house and uh, taking care of the garden. It can look like a nanny. It can look like someone who is taking care of someone's kids when they're under the impression that they can't leave, which again, that's just insane. Like it truly is just unbelievable. Like how many times do I think that I have seen that in, in, in my life and just had no idea? Yeah. I mean, it just sounds really difficult to, to detect sometimes. And, And I think from, you know, from an average, you know, person walking down the street, it would be very difficult to detect, well, is, is this person being held against their will or being forced to, you know, do, do this type of labor or work against their will, or, or is this their choice? So, so yeah, I think, um, uh, Rose made a very good point about, Hey, call the hotline. If you even suspect that's, it's not a problem at all. If you'd, you'd rather err on the side of caution and, and make that phone call rather than not. Exactly. And I feel like, again, she made a bunch of amazing points, that being the most important, I think, you know, um, especially with the holidays coming up. I know I'm literally going to be in an airport and I'm going to be traveling tomorrow. So that's not something that is going that, that, you know, before now it has run through my head like, oh, that, 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 uh, that little girl who is being accompanied by a much older man is very quiet. And it's not saying, I mean, like there are so many signs and if you don't mind, I'm going to read off some of the signs. I know um, Rose mentioned a lot of them now, but just so, you know, our audience is aware. 
Um, if the victim is showing signs that their movement is controlled, um, if they don't know their name or don't know their name or have a sense of a false identity or false travel documents, if they don't know their home address, their work address, um, basic information that um, someone should know about themselves, um, limited or no social interaction, which we talked about earlier. And also, if it is someone that um, you have more of an interaction with than just seeing them in an airport or seeing them in a train station or anything like that, if they don't have a lot of contact with their immediate families or with friends or people outside of their immediate physical environment, things like that, I think is really important to just be um, be aware of. Yeah, definitely. I um, appreciate having that information. I definitely I definitely will be a little bit more on the lookout for, for those type of things um, from, from here on out. So uh, again, just very, very grateful for Rose and the information that she provided to us today. Which like, how cool is she? She mentioned on the show that she's only 23 years old. Um, she's lived in so many different places. Um, but just to have the, the, the vulnerability to go out and share something that you are so unbelievably passionate about, um, but also use her, use her, um, tools in her tool belt. You know, she is remarkably good at social media and, um, uh, specifically on Instagram and specifically on TikTok. And so she's, she's working for this nonprofit organization now and really utilizing those tools that she has to make a difference, which is just, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's, it's, it, it was really cool. You know, I heard her, heard her talk about a couple of things, you know, you know, combining her sense of purpose with her, her passion, right. And her sense of purpose, you know, being this, this, you know, anti-human trafficking advocate and, and then her passion, social media. And I think she has done that so very, very well. And, and I know that, that you and I have had some conversations because of course there's, there's an age gap between me and you, and, um, you obviously have a lot more experience, you know, using social media and understanding social media, um, than, than I do. But, but, you know, what we were talking about is how this particular generation is using social media to, um, really advocate for, for these social causes and, and how social media is really, is really you know, moving those issues along faster than before. No. And that, and that is so interesting because I feel like with social media, um, with Twitter, with Facebook, and you know what we were talking to Dr. Arif about, there is, it's so easy to just hit send or hit post and hundreds, thousands of people even sometimes can see what you're sharing and see what you're, so it's, so it's not just the idea that, cause these issues have existed for hundreds of years. This is not, um, new information. This is an institution. This, I mean, it's institutionalized. Like it has been happening for years and years and years. What has changed with social media is the awareness and it's the speed of getting your ideas, um, distributing information again, like kind of like how we, or what we talked to Dr. Arif about. Um, it's, it's unlike really anything that the world has seen before, you know, we don't have to wait 24 hours for, um, a bulletin, you know, like a newspaper. We don't have to wait. I mean, even just communication with you and I, I can send you a quick text, 
right? And so it's also just the speed that we're able to hold these people accountable and um, and uh, spread information and just spread awareness. Um, but it's also the amount of people that we can potentially touch with the use of social media. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I have, uh, and, and, and then also, you know, I think something else that, that we also talked about was, you know, this, this generation being more, um, socially reform minded or, you know, advocates for, for those type of issues. And, you know, I, my daughter, you know, for example, she's 14 years old and, and for the past several years, she has been a very big advocate for, um, LGBTQIA and, um, and for Black Lives Matter and, you know, different just social, um, reform causes. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure which, which is, is driving it. If it's more the social media is, yes, obviously creating more awareness, but, but then this generation just seems to be more focused on, um, you know, that social reform as well. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, you know, with, and, and again, I think that social media does have something to do with it um, because it gives these people a platform to share whatever they want. You know, like you can um, share your opinion on virtually anything. And again, like I was saying, you know, you you have the potential to, for your post or your tweet or whatever, to reach hundreds and thousands of people. So it's so different, but, um, I, I have to say, I love it. <laughs> I am loving cause I used to teach high school. And so I am absolutely loving seeing my former students, um, kind of not necessarily find their voice because they've always had a voice and they've also been, you know, I know that, um, your daughter is involved in GSA in high school, which is an, an amazing organization that a lot of, um, high schools have, but, um, just giving them a voice is, um, that has been, you know, or even a platform, not a voice, but a, giving them a platform to share, you know, their opinion. I mean, it's just, I think that it is really cool and I'm really loving this new age of, um, uh, younger, younger people, young people, um, coming up and, um, really finding that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I do. I agree. I think I think that it's great that we have, you know, the this platform for these social causes to to gain the awareness that they that they that they deserve. I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, again, we just want to thank Rose again for being on this episode of Revo Talk today. All of the resources are going to be posted in the description box. So please, if you have any interest, any um, inclination to go and donate, to go and educate yourself, um, we are going to leave all of these, um, these resources down in the description for you to explore. So please do that. Um, and again, thank you all so much for tuning in today.